A I N M E N U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Hey everybody, it's Main Menu for the 4th of November 2016. I am your co-host Jason Castengway. This week we're bringing to you the beginning in a series we've talked about for quite some time amongst ourselves, and we're happy to finally be bringing it to you. We want to have guests on the show who are well-known in the blindness community, and in speaking with them, we want to find out the role that technology has played in their lives. This week's guest is Dr. Robert Carter, and Janine will do a much better job of explaining all of this. Before we begin, however, there's a little announcement to get out of the way. Enjoy the show. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everyone. This is Janine Stanley for Main Menu, and my co-host Jason Castingway and I are kicking off a series. We're not sure what we're going to call it yet, so if you have a great name for this series, we'd love to hear it. We are going to be interviewing people that you all probably know. Uh, You know the sounds of their voices. You know their names from various aspects of the blindness community. But we're going to be talking about the role that technology has played in their lives, their careers, their social interactions, etc. And who better to start this whole adventure off with than Dr. Robert Carter. Hi, Robert. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure thing. And Jason is also with us. Hello. Nice to be here. And I chose to start off with Robert because he is one of the first people that I met when I started on the internet back in the early 1990s. And those of us who have guide dogs may remember that Robert and a gentleman named Clarence Whaley ran a little email list called Buddy L back in the day. (laughs) And we all fondly, and that list is still sort of limping along today, some 20 20 years later, you know, at least. So, great. Well, let's start with you. You are a doctor of psychology. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, I'm a psychologist. I work at a a major university, uh, Texas A&M, and I uh, practice psychology there, provide psychological services to students, and I'm in my 27th year at A&M, so been doing it a while. Wow. And you've also been involved with technology for quite a while. Let's go back to the probably the earliest piece of adaptive equipment that you ever got your hands on. I was really fortunate. It was about 1975, and I was an undergraduate student at the University of North Carolina, and I was working at a a, a summer orientation program at another university called Western Carolina, and I I met uh, some people who were very interested in seeing that uh, people who were being sponsored in school by what was called the Division of Blind Services at that time back in North Carolina, uh, they were very interested in innovating in the sense of trying to provide 
people, oddly enough, with some new technology. So I was fortunate to get a, a Speech Plus calculator, maybe was the first thing, an Opticon, which was a, a device that could allow one to read print, mo both those made by telesensory systems. I got to work with the original Kurzweil uh, reading machine, and I got to work with a a uh, product from Blaze Engineering, which was then called Maryland Computer Services, and the product was called Information Through Speech, and it was the first talking computer that I'd seen. And then it went on to the tape-based Versa Braille, and uh, the thing that really sealed the deal for me, honestly, was the Apple IIe, which I got right when I started my PhD program, and it took me all the way through the writing of my dissertation on that Apple IIe with David Holliday's Raise.computing Beck software and Larry Scudcon's Pro Words and Pro Term, where we could connect the CompuServe and bulletin boards and Genie and do all kinds of fun shopping and mail, just like we do now. Except now it's called the internet. But it was really cool back then, honestly. Wow, wow! And it's so much of that technology as you're talking about it. I'm going back through the years, thinking, "Wow, I never did have an Apple IIe. It wasn't, you know, into computers quite at that point in my life." That's, a, that's okay. That's, you're younger than I am, so, so <laughs> well, you, you hope that. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I got started in '88 with my first uh, computer, and that was a, an IBM PS2, the good old PS2. Mm -hmm. But I have heard so much about and got to see a lot of this old older technology working in the independent living field, people sort of, we became a dumping ground for people's old technology. And yeah. we had a Versa Braille, which I thought was the coolest thing since sliced bread. And I was just learning to read Braille. And I thought, this is amazing. And well, I then, was very hooked, very hooked <laughs> in, you know, because for some reason, I just realized even back in the mid seventies, that for me, at least technology was going to be a, a very good way of beginning to, at least to some degree, level the educational and employment playing field. And I was very surprised, honestly, that a lot of my friends and acquaintances, and even I started a little uh, program at the University of Florida when I was a doctoral student teaching people to use the Apple II. I got an, some some grant funding and assistantship and set up a, a training little training center there. And I was very shocked to find out that most people weren't nearly as excited about this technology as I was. It's like people felt like it's too weird, it's too hard, it's too hard to understand that speech synthesizer, too many commands to memorize. And I was like, oh, give me more commands. I want more. <laughs> so I don't know why I was such a weird oddity in that sense, but I just I just saw it as being the future from the very beginning. Wow. And, you know, it's funny because those same arguments I hear from people today. In fact, I was just talking to someone today who said, you know, I know that a smartphone would benefit me. I know I would do well with the smartphone, but I just, it's too much. It's just mm -hmm. too much of it. And my husband says the same thing. <laughs> and he's an old computer guy from AT&T from way back in the day when he worked on mainframes and all that. Mm -hmm. But the smartphone is just too much. And I think, wow. And we'll, we'll get to that in a bit about how this kind of mainstream technology has really taken over. But even back in the day, the Apple IIe was pretty mainstream as far as computer systems go. How how would you say people around you who were not disabled reacted to this kind of technology back then? Well, my I took my first basic programming course on the Apple. It was the Apple II Plus, and 
I think it was about 19, maybe the fall of 1979, pushing toward 1980. And uh, at that time, I wasn't aware of a screen reader for the Apple II. I think it was just a little later on that the Echo II speed synthesizer came out and people started writing talking word processors and terminal programs and stuff. But at that time, my, my screen reader were all the human beings who were taking the basic programming class along with me. And so um, they would trade off reading the screens and, and I kind of got to learn at least a little bit about basic that way. I didn't really learn basic to to any degree of expertise until I got my own Apple II and it could talk to me. But people were excited. People around me were excited about this new technology, even though, you know, a lot of times you would you would write a basic line that would say hello world or something like that and it would print that on the screen and that was kind of a big deal back then wow it's pretty cool this thing can do that um but you know people started getting uh visicalc and and doing uh things that were not possible on machines typewriters before that time so i mean there was a lot of buzz and i mean apple was selling those primitive Apple twos as fast as they could make them for a while. Wow. Wow. So we take you from your graduate program into the world of work with technology. What were, was some of the technology that you used? Did you continue with the Apple products or what, what kind of systems did you move into from that point? I held on to my Apple two E for dear life for as long as I could. But when we, when I graduated in, in 1989 and we moved here to Texas, I was horrified to discover that the uh, student counseling service here, the only computers they had were IBM PC compatible Radio Shack uh, Tandy, I believe I think they were called Tandy computers back then. Oh, and wow. the thing that I soon realized was that for some unknown reason, when Radio Shack developed these machines, they did not use standard codes to operate the keyboard. So none of the screen readers had a clue how to work with the Radio Shack computer. So I walked into a situation where I had absolutely no accessibility. Of course, there wasn't a lot to access back then. It was a little bit before the internet, and we were, you know, it was a little bit before email, even, although. Our department had the idea that we needed to use these computers for something. But I gradually convinced them that we needed to ditch the Radio Shacks and get the the standard IBM PC compatibles or clones, they called them back then. And, oh, yes. And, and they were accessible with some really cool screen readers. I, I used uh, one called Flipper. And, of course, I guess JAWS for DOS was, was out around that time. And... I never did use it until uh, a few months ago, but anyway, <laughs> that could be another story for another time. But, but the, but you know, it was, it was, it was just all starting to happen, and I got, I got lucky in that my, uh, my, our director at the time saw that I had some knowledge about the technology. He actually, for a while, put me in charge of, of computing for our department, so I was able to have some influence on what we ordered and so i was able to get things that 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 would work for me and everybody else and it was really kind of a cool time honestly it was a headache too because back then man we were flipping dip switches on serial cards and (laughs) you know installing Mm -hmm. things that we don't even think about today you you really had to know something about 
how uh, DOS worked and how and the command structure to, to get much of anything out of a computer back then. So it was a different time for sure. That's what I have to smile about now when people say, you know, some of the newer technology is complicated. Remember listening to that computer boot up and you know what every noise meant, you know, and yep. you got the double beep, beep when it connected to the keyboard and the noise when it connected to the printer and all the modem noises. And oh, my goodness. And uh, now when you hear any noise coming out of your computer, you panic because <laughs> it's never yeah. good. Wow. So then transferring over sort of into that. Uh, PC environment, uh, I agree with you, the, the DOS days and the DOS screen readers, we actually, if you cared to learn it, had a lot of control over what was going on with the computer. Um, maybe not the greatest speech synthesizers, but, you know, a lot of control. So then Windows came on the scene. And what happened at that point? I remember, you know, the sky was falling pretty, pretty routinely for blind people at that point it felt like it and i didn't really ever do much with windows 3.1 but when windows 95 came along uh, a, a true pioneer in access technology uh, by the name of larry scutcon who had written a really successful dos program called asap automatic oh, screen yes. access Loved program. That program yeah he he um developed a version for uh, Windows 95 called SAW, and so you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, my my great friend who's no longer with us, Clarence Whaley. Yes. He and I uh, somehow convinced Larry that we needed to come to his house for the weekend and do a 48-hour intensive tutorial on how to use Windows 95. Oh wow! So we packed up our two-year-old or maybe three-year-old at the time, and we. Uh, drove for hours and hours to get up to Larry's house. He was living in Texarkana at that time, which is right on the Texas-Arkansas border. And we got up there, and Clarence met us there. And, uh, wow, we had a time. We we went through Windows 95 from top to bottom with Larry's screen reading software. And that, that was really how I got started with Windows 95. I got to I got to sit at the feet of the master and learn. So wow. I, it, was, it, it, was, wow. it was really great. Oh, if somebody had only recorded those sessions, that would be yeah. amazing because the three of you, there is more knowledge of technology and blindness related products and how to mesh that all together and make it look seamless than I can ever imagine. So, <laughs> and I, I didn't have a laptop, so I, I, I unplugged my desktop <gasps> at work and I snuck it out of the office when hopefully oh, nobody wow. was looking and stuck it in the back of the car. And here we went and I plugged it up at Larry's house and I had a... A Windows 95 machine running there. It was wow. a funny, wow. funny time. That is that is awesome. Mm -hmm. So we progressed through Windows and the coming of the Windows screen readers. And how did this change things for you at work and, and the students that you were seeing too? Because, you know, as the 90s wore on, we saw computers becoming pretty much an integral integral part of student life. So when I first came here, all of our appointments, all of our records, everything was done on paper. And when I say paper, I mean there was a huge sheet of paper at the front desk where they kept track of all the appointments. So it was all done pencil and paper, literally. And it was... Um, Oh, I don't know. In in the I guess the the late '90s that we converted everything to 
uh, well, I'll take that back. I don't know exactly when it was, maybe mid-90s, that it, everything got converted to technology. And um, I was really, really fortunate in that we hired a, an IT guy who actually wrote some custom scheduling uh, uh, software and uh, uh, all, all the things that we do, the note writing that we do on, on each appointment and all those things were, were done in a, a piece of software that I was able to work with him from the ground up. And so it was completely 100% accessible. Oh, wow. And that was really great for me for about, oh, probably 15 years or so. And just this past September, um, we suddenly overnight moved to uh, a new system here that so far has been pretty inaccessible. So it just shows how overnight things can things can flip-flop, and it really makes me feel for all the blind people I've heard about over the years who have either lost jobs or struggled with jobs because something became inaccessible for me it, it's it's okay because we went back and retooled the the former program we were using so i could access the information that i need until we get some of this accessibility stuff resolved and that's what i'm now encountering my first experience with jaws i'd never used it before until september hoping that jaws will give me the access maybe through some scripting to this uh, software that i need but it's we're still we're still stumbling around wow. working on it at the moment so wow. it's just fascinating how things can how things can change so fast and how and if, if you really think about it how fragile in some ways at least in the, in the vocational arena accessibility can be Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's still, I would expect, the whole aspect of any adaptive equipment with a computer is frightening to employers because I, you know, it used to be, oh, you're not installing that on my machine or, you know, our employees have to remote in, they have to come into the main server remotely and we're not installing this on the remote server. You know, that's not going to happen. What's it going to do to everything? And Unfortunately, with some of the the controversies over the screen readers being seen as sort of, you know, a, a malware <laughs> by some of the, the newer antivirus systems, that's become a problem as well. So um, I, I agree with you about the fragility and, and trying to break those barriers down. Um, what changes have you seen in just yourself and people around you? With on the on the flip side of that, with the growing access in across platforms, you know we've got Macs now. We've got that that particular platform. We have um, somewhat the the Google universe, the Android and the Chrome, and those kinds of things plus Windows. Well, I think it's fabulous to see us able to use, even if it's in a slightly different interface with Voiceover on the on the touch screens, the same technology that everyone is using. And I think that helps us really integrate ourselves into the the rest of the world because we're not we're not talking about uh, some device that no one but us has ever heard of. And you know, I find myself very frequently helping my colleagues at work with their, 
iPhones and their iPads. And it's just because I love this stuff and have really studied up on it. And, and when, when my colleague Nancy loses her photographs and can't figure out how she's going to get them back, I can, I can help her figure out a way to get them off the, you know, the iCloud backup. But, but it's, it's just because of that, that we all are essentially doing the same thing that I think it, it it's been, it's been tremendous, honestly, to be able to participate in that and, and feel like, you know, we, we can do what, what the other people are doing. I love it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I do as well. And I think it's funny, you know, you'll be sitting in a public place doing something with your phone and people start talking about the phones and the apps and things like that. And you can actually join in that conversation, which really breaks down the barriers. Um, what advice would you give to, say, a young blind person or, or even a, an adventitiously blind adult who's kind of going out there into the work world for the first time? Uh, as a blind person, kind of encountering some of the things that are still out there, what advice would you give them about technology? Well, I think that we have to figure out, each of us, what our comfort zone is. And I used to, you know, in my younger days, be be trying to be a so much more, I think, in some ways of an of a of an evangelist in the sense that oh you, you've got to go and try this technology it's gonna it's gonna free you and bring possible employment to your to your life and and I still feel strongly that the technology is is very important but I also realize that it's not the thing that floats most people's boat so. If you have to learn some technology to get a job, you may be someone like me who loves it and says, oh, great, give me more, give me more. Or you may well be someone who says, you know, I've got to learn this because I have to do it for my job. So I would encourage people to, to really work with someone who can evaluate and assess and train and help them get really what they need to do the job that they're trying to do as opposed to what maybe some of us think may think they need because for 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 you know 30 years now I've seen the where things really break down in technology is with the actual taking the time to assess and match people with with the technology that's right for them and I, I'm sad that we haven't gotten way, way, way better at that in 30 years than I than I don't think we have. Mm-hmm. And I, our, I our, totally agree with that. Our rehab professionals, you know, I, I have great respect for them, but so many of them are like the general population. They, they really know very little when it comes down to it about the real ins and outs of the technology. Can they really describe to you exactly how JAWS is different from system access? Pr- probably not. Can they tell you what what what's going to be the real advantages of a Mac and what what are going to be the drawbacks? Probably not. You know because you 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 can't buy technology like you buy toothpaste. You can't go to the store and say I'm going to grab this bright red one here because it looks cute and that'll brush my teeth just fine. You can't do that kind of surface information processing when you're choosing technology and expect to get the right match. 
And we're getting closer to it, though, with so much accessibility built in, as it were. Oh, you mean like you can just buy an iPhone? And, yeah, and then... you can just buy an iPhone. You okay. can buy, but those may not be the devices that are right for everyone. And you know, not. like I, I mentioned, my husband before he builds all of our Windows machines. You know, he's got all kinds of machines. He's got a Windows ninety five machine downstairs that's still running, just for the heck of it. But he will not touch, you know, a touch screen, a smartphone, anything like that. It's just, he said, I just, that's not me. That's not, I want more control as a former programmer. Well, I don't think you're ever a former programmer. (laughs) So, but the control, being able to control is important to him. And he doesn't feel that's something he can get. Although, you know, that might not come up in an assessment. If you did an assessment of someone um, vocationally, that that was their feeling. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough. Know yourself going in, too, and don't be afraid to communicate your needs. Exactly. And for me, it's so funny. Like your husband wants, wants that control, wants more of it. As I've gotten older, I honestly think I want less of it. I want to have to wrangle with my technology less and less i want to be able to pick up my iphone and just be able to check my messages in my mail and browse the web and 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 listen to a podcast without having to customize the screens or make it work for me i want apple just to do that for me and it's so funny how you know, it, I mean, I've I've really seen myself change in that way over the last 30 years. Not that I don't enjoy experimenting and trying new technology, but man, I want it to work now. Yeah, and it's kind of nice not to, you know, have to, oh my gosh, did I remember to run check disk? Did I remember to mm-hmm. run, you know, SFC yeah. and all of these things that we used to have to run on DOS just to keep our machines alive, you know, and uh, not to have to do all of that anymore. And that is one thing I would say that that in my humble and very biased opinion, I will freely admit that I'm a big Apple fan person. But that's one thing that for me, at least, I find uh, the Mac OS and iOS much more friendly in, in that regard, in that I can install those from scratch when I need to. I can make really great backups of those systems. I can do pretty much everything that I need or want to do with them without any assistance. And I never found that for me to be true on the other platforms. And I'm not saying other people haven't, but but mm-hmm. it was never my experience. Right. And I think until Windows 10, it hasn't been the experience of a lot of people. Um, and that was kind of a shock to everyone when, oh, look, we can actually update this ourselves without or install it, you know, um, from scratch ourselves, which was kind well, of amazing. Well, that's now, great. I didn't even know really you could do that with <laughs> Windows 10, but I'm really out of the Windows business for the most part. Yeah, I'm, I'm still on it at work because we do have a, a shared drive that I have to access and I can't do that with uh, with you know, yeah. uh, we don't have software installed remotely to yeah. be able to do that. That's the only drawback of the Mac for me is I really couldn't do my job using our remote, you know, tools that we have um, with the Mac because at this point, as far as I know, the screen reader does not work in a remote setting like that. Yeah, I so, couldn't either. I mean, to be honest, yeah. I, I I use Windows at work, but I don't pursue it. And we're still on Windows 7. Someday, mm-hmm. I guess, our our center will catch up with Windows 10, but we don't have it now. And we're moving on over, and I would love to have a Mac because it, it, even the Microsoft Office suite of products now is so much more stable and just 
really easy to work with. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see that Windows is still, you know, trying and they haven't just kind of thrown up their hands and said, oh, well, you know, all those people can use the Mac. That's already yep. built in. They can glad use that. Glad to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about programs that you use on a regular basis. What So we, we know that you are an Apple person. We know that you have an iPhone. We know that you probably have a Mac at home, right? Yep, talking to you on it right now. There you go. And we know that you have also ordered and will be getting soon the newest MacBook. So talk to me about that decision to get that new MacBook with the touch bar. Well, I think that the touch bar is going to be interesting because I think it is sort of fascinating that you can have a function key like system be customized automatically to every app that you use and really present the things on that touch bar that you need to use that particular app. And I, I think Apple is forward thinking when they introduce something like that. We don't know yet until we get them in our hands exactly what that will be like with voiceover. I suspect it will be uh, similar in some ways using the touch bar to using iOS gestures on on the, the touchscreen devices, the phone and the iPad and so on. But we won't really know for sure until we get it. But I like the idea of, of trying the next thing. And I think moving to the USB-C ports on the Mac is the next logical step. Yeah, we're going to grumble for a while because we have mm -hmm. to have adapters to plug in even our all of our old USB-A devices and so forth. But you know, Apple is is known for moving us forward, whether we choose to go about it happily or kicking and screaming. Either way, <laughs> uh, there is no iPhone jack, and I do have a headphone jack on the iPhone 7, and, and I do have one of those too. I've, I've spent all my money this fall on, on <laughs> Apple devices, and so... I, I looked, and I'm, I'm tempted. I've got a MacBook Pro that's uh, having some trouble with its USB ports now, and I'm thinking, oh, I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah, it is a hard decision because these laptops are expensive and they Apple always does charge a lot of money for their products. And that's unfortunate for a lot of us who have to count our pennies, but it is what it is. Yeah, and truthfully, this particular MacBook is, you know, a 2012. It shows no signs of dying. This thing is a tank. And, yeah. you know, I can't justify getting a new one, but, Oh, I love that touch bar concept. It just uh, now one thing I have not heard from anybody is there going to be any tactic feedback on this touch bar? Do you know? Don't know of any. I haven't heard anything suggesting that there is. I think there will just be uh, voiceover feedback and m maybe some audio sounds. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything about any any taptic feedback. Gotcha. That would be interesting. I haven't played with a trackpad with that kind of feedback yet on the newer Macs. So um, I don't know. Have you actually played with a trackpad with that type of feedback yet? Not really. Just a little bit in, in an Apple store, but I'm looking forward to getting this. This new MacBook has a much larger trackpad. It'll be interesting to see how I like that or don't like that. Also yeah, I was gonna, that makes me a little nervous because my mm. hands usually end up right on that. My, you know, the the yeah. heels of my hands on that. Uh -huh. So hopefully yeah. that won't be too too much of a problem. 
Like I think it. for me, I, I, I enjoy almost the learning and experimenting as much as the using. So I'm willing to put my money down and, and give it a shot just because I enjoy it so much. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure we will definitely have you back to talk about that particular experience and maybe even show us a little bit about how that machine operates with the touch bar. Let's go to some other Apple tech that you own. You are a fellow Apple Watch owner, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. The Apple and- Watch has been really great for me and, and some in at least one unique way. And one of the things that, that I'm able to do with it is set a silent alarm to alert me when it's time for each of my uh, therapy sessions to be drawing to an end. And so it enables me to, without disturbing anything that's going on, know exactly uh, when it's time for, for, for that for that winding down process to begin. And, you know, just getting the, the messages and notifications and the weather and hundred other things that you, you can get on the watch have just been really convenient and, and si- I love the silence of it. You can just yes. get a little, little tap on your wrist and you can, when you have time, you can check and see what you need to deal with. And that's just worked out really well for me, honestly. Awesome. And it probably the greatest feature started by the time buzz app, but then really picked up in watch OS three is taptic time. Yeah. How it is much a, do you love Taptic Time? <laughs> I do love it. And I'd say for me, it, it works about 98% of the time. And the only time it doesn't work is when I'm in a meeting and I desperately need it to be quiet. Like today in staff meeting, uh, checking my time and suddenly my watch decides to announce the time. And people go like, who's talking? And I'd say, okay, sorry, Oops. people. It was me. But yep. but 99% of the time it works just fine. And I think honestly, probably more often than not, when it doesn't work, I probably don't tap it very solidly. Mm-hmm. That's what I always wonder if I'm actually tapping it solidly enough to register the two or three taps. But mm-hmm. I have to say I have the beta version of watchOS and it's getting better with each beta, Good. which is great. Um, yeah. I personally, I really wish they had taken the time buzz patterns because I was so used to those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, this is not bad. So um, so have you used any of the fitness aspects of the iPhone or the watch? You know, not not a whole lot, Janine. I, I time I, we, we do uh, my wife Vicky and I do Pilates on, on a, a regular several times a week. Okay, she does it every day. I do it <laughs> less than that, but I still do it a couple times a week. And uh, you know, I, I get some some uh, some increased uh, calorie burnage from that. But I haven't. I honestly haven't. And I've I've used the fitness app a time or two when we take a walk or something. But I've not jumped into it the way a lot of people have. Although I do stand every hour. And I do use the new Breathe app because I find that really relaxing and helpful to slow down and and breathe every once in a while. So to that extent, I have, but I haven't really used the the, the setting up custom workouts and that part of it very much. Oh, good. I don't feel so bad now because yeah. <laughs> I hear people talking about how great that is. And I think, no, <laughs> the stand is a wonderful thing. And the Breathe app, when I pay attention to it and say, yeah, you know, I can take a minute to do that. Usually it, it uh, taps me at the most awkward or inopportune times. <laughs> like, can I 
postpone that for about five minutes and come back to it. And and uh, it, it is a really awesome app. If you haven't used it um, and you have an Apple Watch, give it a try. It's really mm-hmm. amazing. I wish they would come up with a version of it for the phone that you could actually do using the phone. I'm a little surprised they didn't. It's just on the watch now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's because of the, the, the haptic feedback on the watch to be yeah. because it's really unique. It's, it is. Uh, Absolutely. Um, It just reminds me of a waterfall. There are a bunch of little taps in sort of an odd pattern as you inhale. And it's really kind of neat. It is. Well, we are talking about health and walking. Um, How about that favorite of many blind people, GPS? How has that technology changed your life? When I was working dogs, and I had th- three dogs from the seeing eye, I don't, don't, not, not, don't work dogs anymore because I hurt my back, and I just haven't really felt like I was up to uh, taking on a, a young dog. So after retiring the last one, I, I have not chosen to do that. So I used GPS a whole lot when I was um, working with dogs. I was always out walking and, and doing things. Um, I just heard a podcast from – what do they call it these days? Blind, cool, cool, cool blind, blind tech, tech cool yes. blind tech on, on APH's uh, GPS software. Yes, and, he, uh, he really, really put that through its paces. I think he, he took folks through all of the aspects of that app, which was great. He did, and I think that's a really nice I, – I tried that software on Android a few years ago, but it was just on a, a tablet, and it didn't have – um, any cellular connectivity. So you didn't get a whole lot when you were out walking around. It was, but, but I think it would be really great on the phone. And if I were, had the need for GPS a lot more, I would definitely be exploring that. But, you know, now we have Uber, you can just call Uber and go go wherever you want to go. You don't even need a GPS, but but (laughs) I still think it's great technology. And I would encourage everyone you know, who wants to travel independently to, to, to figure out a GPS app that really works well for you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, you know, one of the only, probably the only good things about not working with dogs anymore is you don't have to worry with Uber about what might true. happen if you have a service animal. That's true. Luckily, that's slowly getting better. But, yeah, I, there's another thing that's really um increased our independence and our participation are these rideshare services that are comparatively speaking relatively inexpensive and using our technology to access transit information um i don't know if you're seeing that in the folks that you're talking to yeah i think it's just changing the landscape a a lot and we really can i can see pretty quickly how younger people coming along who this is what the way they start out, I think are going to just be in a position to have an easier time of travel and navigation than, than we did. Honestly, there's just, there's a lot more possibilities now. Sure. And hopefully we won't forget all those skills that you need when your batteries go out, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so that's uh that's something I always am, am worried about. Am I actually going to remember? Because when I first started using GPS, uh, I was in downtown Columbus, which is square blocks. It's absolutely a grid pattern. And my battery went dead one day and I was, I just completely lost my mind. 
and said, this is ridiculous, Janine. It's squares. You know how to work in squares. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think technology is wonderful until it isn't. But It's kind of like not memorizing phone numbers anymore. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Which, thank goodness, as we get older, that's no longer an issue because it wouldn't be happening for me today. <laughs> Yeah, at least it's not an issue until your battery goes dead. Then you don't know how to call anybody. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or Siri doesn't understand you. Right. And that's another technology. All of the digital assistants. I have the Amazon one here at my elbow. And uh, we've got Siri. We've got uh, the Google Google Assistant, formerly the Google Now um, product. And uh, how have you worked with any of these products? And what are your thoughts on those? Only Siri. I haven't felt the need to go into the Amazon or Google route. I I I think you know I, I've played with the the uh, the Amazon one a little bit through one of the apps or one or two of the apps that will let you ask uh, her questions. But uh, I, I think that Siri is really good at what it can do at the moment and. I use Siri all the time to change my alarm 10 times a day on my oh, yes. Apple Watch. And, you know, <laughs> it, it does a good job with that, except when it doesn't and Siri's not connecting at the moment for some reason. Mm-hmm. Then I have to be like an animal and go in and set it manually. <laughs> yes. So I think Siri has great potential. I know some people are frustrated with with where it is and would like it to have advanced more and yeah i'd like it to advance more and i think apple is working on it you know i think this is this artificial intelligence idea where the technology can anticipate what it is we're wanting from it or can put our questions into whatever context we mean them to be in that's a pretty sophisticated processing skill that even we humans struggle with sometimes. So we, I think we have a ways to go and it's going to take some time and it's, it's not going to be everything that it is in say 10 years from now, but it is what it is right now. Wow. And um, you were mentioning, mentioning artificial intelligence. What do you see in the future for that kind of technology? And as a psychologist, how do you think that's going to affect us and how we, we do what we do? Do you see anything either ominous or really, really incredible coming out of that. I hope that we find a way to connect our humanity with artificial intelligence to enhance our connections to one another as opposed to isolating ourselves more and going into our own virtual reality. Uh, uh, the book Ready Player One comes to oh, mind. Yes, you know, yes. and there, there are just a, uh, a lot of unanswered questions about what it's going to mean as we virtualize our, our environment more. And I, you know, Sherry Turkle at MIT and others have grown quite concerned about that. I feel a little more optimistic about it. Um, I think, I think, I think we can, I think we can find a way to, to, to keep our humanity engaged. I look forward, though, to the day where, as as blind people, we have more or less complete access to our photo library. I, I think that will happen. Well, you know, Judy Dixon has been a real pioneer in that area of of teaching people how, how, how to 
as blind people take photographs and use that that form of technology more and it, I mean it's really cool how it's grown and advanced and how Apple has been been willing to put some some intelligence into voiceover when it comes to taking photographs and all that. I mean, it's, 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 it's an exciting time. And now, given that it's the year of Braille, let's hear Robert's thoughts on the role that Braille has played in his life. Played a huge role for me. Um, I've got a couple of the, of the HIMSS uh, Braille Sense devices, and I am a huge fan of the uh, National Braille Press uh, publication that, that, that they do every week they're syndicated columnist weekly it's it's what i read on my way to work every day to catch up on the the important news and i I always read that in electronic braille i'm really happy to see braille get a facelift with with ueb i think that it needed it i know again it's a little like apple pushing us forward and you know it's hard to change some of those contractions that we've known all of our lives but Wow, you know, we, we, we need, Braille needs to keep up with being able to reproduce what's being reproduced in print. And and so I, I'm excited for Braille. I'm really excited about the possibility of these newer, low-cost displays coming out. And I sincerely hope that, the, that NLS will see its way clear to put one in everybody's hands who needs one. I really admire uh, what, what HumanWare did with the new... Braille note touch and, and I'm excited to see them, you know, step up and really do something to make the Android platform really accessible with with their version of Keysoft on top of it. But it's just it's more money than I'm willing to spend on a a device right now when when like you said I can hopefully before too long get a braille display that I can connect to my phone and do just just pretty much everything that I need or want to do with it. So, yeah, it has its disadvantages. I get it that 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 I'm I haven't used it, but I just bet that braille note interface is really nice. Mhm. Mhm. And, you know, being able to do some of the things that you can do with a standalone note-taking device, you know, go online, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But uh, I'm at the point now where for business I'm just taking my phone and I'm I'm good with just my phone. Yeah, and that's just one one more point I, I would want to make about the mainstream technology is I wish it wasn't this way, but for my lifetime at least, the specialized technology almost always has been a little bit behind, sometimes a long ways behind, and significantly more expensive. And that's that, that's a real problem for people. Mm-hmm. If you get an iPhone 7, you, you have the, the latest technology that Apple has to offer, and you can just use it with voiceover and a braille display if you want right out of the box, and you're not behind. And that's that's just that was unheard of ten years ago. Oh my goodness, I don't think we ever would have imagined being where we are now. You know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, I remember getting a new Braille and speak and being excited because it had 640K. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. Uh-huh. And and that thing was a little, again, a little tank, a little powerhouse. And it did, it was a PDA long before the rest of the world had PDAs and knew what they were about. So that was one curve we were ahead of for a change. And the then Braille and speak was. Up. 
was ahead of its time. I mean, there there really weren't laptops, tiny laptop thingies that's that size and with that capability for, for the mainstream back then. And I had so much fun. I, I loved Braille and Speak, and I uh, spent a lot of time at conferences working in the the Blazy booth and your your uh, friend from Columbus there, Erwin Hot, and I used yes, to uh, absolutely. used to take Braille and Speaks apart right in the booth and ins- insert the new uh, EEPROM so that people could have the latest update. Back then, the only way to update one was to take the chip out and put a put a new chip. Oh in. yes, I yeah. remember it well. You guys did that surgery on mine a couple times, I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pro- probably so. You know, we would just take the, take those things apart right there while people were standing there, and mm-hmm. it's just it, you know I cringe sometimes to think, God, what if what if we broken a wire or what if you know what yes. if something had gone wrong but i never i never had an experience where anything went wrong i think some i think we were we were really really fortunate <laughs> i think so but also those things were built you know um with blind people in mind and so that blind people could actually get in there and do what needed to be done to fix them too if they had the knowledge and and the ability and so you know that was another good factor of the technology i think it was, and that's all changed today. I don't recommend anybody taking their iPhone apart. Oh, my goodness. It scares me just to think about it. I mean, I'm fascinated. My husband took apart a laptop, a Windows laptop. He wanted to see the inside of it. And I thought, oh, oh no, it's never going to work again. And, you know, back in the old days, you never opened up a laptop. Mm-mm. And uh, it was fascinating to see the, the use of space inside of it. But um, other than that, I just kept cringing and saying, please put the cover back. Please put it back yeah. together. <laughs> please. And it worked fine. So that was great. Well, uh, is there anything else that you would like to talk about or tell our folks about? I would love to let people know where they can uh, hear you, first of all, in the podcast universe, because you have an incredible podcast, the Tech Doctor podcast with Allison Hartley that I look forward to. I get excited every time I see a new one pop up. Well, thank you. That's really kind of, of you to say that. Yeah, the Tech Doctor podcast is totally a labor of love for Allison and me, we just do it because we we like to talk about the technology and, and we know our, our spouses don't want to hear us carry on about it. So we just do it on a podcast and that way people who maybe care about it can listen to it. And so the Tech Doctor podcast is at dr-carter.com is, is the website. Um, it's available everywhere. Podcasts can be found in iTunes or through your favorite podcast listening app like Overcast, which is my favorite, or Downcast on the iOS devices, or uh, in the Apple podcasting app, or just, just, you know, if you did a search for Tech Doctor, D-E-C-H space, D-O-C-T-O-R, it it should should come up just about anywhere. We've we've been doing it since, since, I've been doing it since since, uh, 2010, and uh, so it's been around for, for a while, and uh, we don't have a real set regular publishing schedule, and I, I know it's it goes against any kind of podcast etiquette if you really want a good podcast, publish it on a, at a predictable time. But honestly, we we kind of are on the philosophy of we will publish something when we have something that we feel is worth saying or will be worth worth someone's time to listen to, and so. We publish more when there are Apple events going on because we're we're a real 
Apple accessibility centric podcast. We don't make any apology about the fact that we love Apple and we're going to be talking about Apple. And if people want to hear that, we really welcome everyone, you know, but that's kind of what we do. And I think it fills us a a small niche that's out there. And that's, that's, that's what we try for. Mm -hmm. And it it is a wonderful podcast, folks, if you are into the Apple universe, and and they also do some wonderful interviews and uh, things like that. And occasionally, like a few years ago, you get to hear Robert go on the coolest trip ever to Antarctica. Um, I listened to those and they they were incredible. So, and I assume that this is something people can get also on their Victor Reader streams, another really popular device for listening to podcasts. I don't have a stream, but I would feel sure that it, that it would show up. Mm -hmm. I would imagine so. As long as you've got an RSS feed, I believe. And, and we hope on main menu to have some folks on to talk about the the stream and all of those wonderful products too, and Mm -hmm. how people can consume some of this great stuff that's out there. And um, Robert is, he's very modest because he actually is quite famous within the the podcast universe, along with, you know, the folks from twit and, and some of the other um, podcast technology podcasts that are out there. Um, so uh, very interesting and very interesting to hear about your visit to one of the podcast conferences of the technology folks recently. That was, what, was a year or two ago? Well, we, we actually, I've been a couple times now, but the latest one was this past summer. It's uh, The conference is called Mac Stock. It's right outside of Chicago and it's put on by Mike Potter and Barry Falk up there. And Mike Potter does does a podcast call for Mac Eyes Only, which he's been doing for many, many years. Mike's a really knowledgeable Apple Mac person. But anyway, they they started this conference, and and uh, I went the first year that it was held, and then Allison and I both went uh, during the, this last summer, and, and we were fortunate that they invited us to each do a presentation on accessibility. I did I did one on Mac accessibility, and Allison did one on iOS accessibility, and we were we were so energized and so pleased by the fact that all these mainstream Apple enthusiasts and podcasters who were there came up to us and said, "We now get it. We now understand what accessibility is all about and why it's important." And that that just meant so much to me because that's what we want to do. We want people to get it, people to understand, and people who don't need necessary accessibility at this point in their lives to to appreciate what it is and what we do with it. And also to understand that, you know, we're doing the same things they do. Maybe we do it in a little different way, but we're not asking for some, some hand up here. We're asking for a handshake and let's do all this together. So the mainstream and the accessibility can come together in one Mac stock conference. And, and it's, it was really cool actually. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That just sounds like that's the perfect perfect ending here to our show tonight and we are probably the only three people in the universe who are not watching the world series tonight as we are recording we're on wednesday night the final game of the world series and we know we have a lot of sports fans out there um, for which your adaptive technology is going to help you out a lot too sure enough I'm I'm having a hard time with this because I one of my bosses was a diehard Cubs fan and I grew up in an Indians household so <laughs> yeah. And yeah somebody will win. wins it'll be great so yeah. we'll, we'll be happy but right. thank you so much Robert if people would like to follow you on social media can they do that yeah probably the best place is Twitter and it's Robert underscore Carter 
C-A-R-T-E-R, Robert underscore Carter on, on Twitter. That's probably the easiest one. Hey, fantastic. And look for that Tech Doctor podcast. And again, let's spell the name of that podcast just in case people want to search for it in their podcast app of choice. It's just Tech Doctor spelled out, T-E-C-H space D-O-C-T-O-R. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for being with us here on Main Menu. And uh, all of us who have known and enjoyed your work over the years really appreciate you being out there and uh, doing what you do. Thank you, Janine and Jason. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Same here. Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream and repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can receive it on any internet-connected device, pick it up with ACB Link for iOS, grab it as a podcast, or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. If there's a piece of technology or software that you'd like to talk about, please consider submitting a review or demo to Main Menu. Submission ideas, comments, and suggestions can be sent to mainmenu at acbradio.org. If you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, the name is Main Menu. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.